Hebrews this morning, chapter 9, verses 11 through 14. But when Christ came as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy place, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls, with the sprinkling of the ashes of a heifer, sanctifies those who have been defiled so that their flesh is purified, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to worship the living God. This is the word of God for the people of God. There is that well-worn story of the chicken and pig having a conversation. The chicken says to the pig, let's have breakfast. The pig says, sounds like a good idea. What shall we have? The chicken says, eggs and ham. The pig says, no thanks. The chicken says, what's wrong? Well, the pig says, you offer the eggs and life goes on. I offer the ham and I am one and done. Hebrews talks about what Christ has done once for all. In verse 12 we read today, He, Christ, entered once for all into the holy place. Over and over in this letter to the Hebrews, the author comes back to this image of high priest, Christ as high priest, offering sacrifices on behalf of the people. But then today he turns that a little and moves to Christ offering himself as the sacrifice. He talks about this happening in the holy place. He finally tells us later this is a place not made with hands, but eternal in the heavens. But for us who are not in heaven yet, what is your holy place? You heard even Marie in her prayer say, we are in a holy, set-apart place. That's what holy means. It's a place, the author of Hebrews says, that we connect with God, a place where we go to develop our relationship with God, to receive forgiveness of sins and renewal of life, a place that moves us from death to life. He contrasts what's going on in the holy place with the tent that his ancestors had had when the Israelites are wandering in the wilderness, being led by God. They're given specific instructions how to make and Put up a tent, the tent of meeting. It's the holy place since they're a nomadic people. They can put it up and take it down and move, and God goes with them. But it's the place set apart for them to meet God, to develop their relationship with God, to listen for God to lead them and for them to understand their purposes within God. For those of us who come to Boston Avenue, our sanctuary is a holy place set apart for us to focus on God, a place where we can gather together to support one another as we look to God 
as we learn from God, as we worship God together. We use time-tested rituals that help us move into the presence of God when we are in this place, this set-apart place. But for so many now, churches and sanctuaries are not a place they even think about going if they want to go to a holy place or meet God. So many say, oh, they're going to be outside. They're going to be in God's creation, out in nature. And surely it is God's handiwork. But being outside can give you that experience of beauty and awe and magnificence. But I don't know how often it helps a a person actually turn to God in a way that leads to commitment, commitment to Christ, to a more ethical or more just and loving lifestyle, to a commitment to follow Christ as the revelation of God's love in the world. And yet we say in Christian theology that God is everywhere, that God is with us anywhere and anytime. But we hold those two theological truths in concert or sometimes in tension that we have a place set apart to help us connect with God. And yet we may have significant experiences of God in other places as well. The author of Hebrews wants to talk about the significance of worship in the temple, in the place constructed and dedicated as a place to help people come to know God more deeply. He says in the 13th verse there that these sacrifices that are being made as part of temple worship are things that sanctify those who have been defiled so that their flesh is purified. The thing which we would say restores us to right relationship with God or redeems us or saves us. When we come to worship and confess our sins, in this case, and make sacrifices and receive God's forgiveness and a new opportunity to live as God wills. It's easy for Christians to criticize Hebrew worship in the temple period with all the sacrifices. And some even use Hebrews thinking that's what this author is saying. It seems to me, though, he's not saying that coming to the temple to make sacrifice is a bad thing. He's saying, I believe it's a good thing. It's a place to go to connect with God. Then he goes on to say, but there's something even better. I've experienced something even better, more long-lasting in Jesus Christ who sacrificed himself on our behalf. In our United Methodist communion ritual, we still use the language of sacrifice. When we come together on a Holy Communion Sunday like we will next week, we'll read you an invitation and then all together we confess our sins and then I'll read you these words, hear the good news, Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love toward us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. I think you can hear the sacrificial overtones and then we go on to remember these words when Christ was with his 
disciples on that last night, it says on the night in which he gave himself up for us, he took bread, gave thanks to you, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to you, gave it to the disciples and said, drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. You can hear the sacrificial language. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. But before we're done, we are also included in this as we go on and say, and so in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves. We offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith, Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. Author from Hebrews says, Christ has offered himself as a sacrifice. And whenever we meet Christ, we are in a holy place, a place where we can connect with God. Hebrews is not saying that this sacrifice is given to an angry God. Rather, it says this is a gift offered by Christ of himself that grows out of the love of God for us. We know about sacrifice given as a gift. If you're ever around parents who have a newborn, you know they're making some sacrifices of sleep and routine and order in their lives to care for this new baby. And later in the child's life, they're going to make sacrifices to reorient their budget, to take care of the needs of the child, things that they would not have otherwise done, but now they will sacrifice for the good of the child. I see it with couples long married and then one of them has some kind of turn for the worse in terms of health and the healthy one begins to change their schedule and reorder their life and their priorities to take care of the one they love. They're beginning to make sacrifices out of love to take care of one who's close to them. Or we do it even in Christian stewardship. We can read about sacrificial giving. Jesus talks about it in the scripture. And so often when we're becoming Christian and then the pastor begins to talk about finances, we get pretty uncomfortable because we're asking for you to reorder some things to make room to give a gift back to God. And so often it feels like sacrifice. And in some ways it is. But what I hear from people over and over, and truly it's my own experience as well, 
that once I begin to give back to God, even if I may be sacrificing some other things, it comes as joy. If I recognize that I'm working and living in concert with God and I've given my whole life to God, even my finances, and God is working in and through me to bless other lives and to do God's work of love in the world. Oh, it may still be sacrifice, but it feels like a gift of love given back to God that others might know the blessings of God in their own lives. These are living sacrifices given out of love. And this author says what's particularly different about the sacrifice given by Christ is that it's once for all. It's given once, but it's for all of us, and it's good for eternity. In verse 14, he says, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God? He's arguing that Christ's sacrifice has opened the door to redemption, he says, eternal redemption to salvation or sanctification, whatever word you would like to use, that Christ has opened that door for all people, for all time. He loves to continue to remind these readers that this is something that happened and is good forever, for all time, for eternity. But then before he closes this section we read today, he begins to talk about the effects not only in eternity, but the effects that God's love coming to us through Christ that's symbolized in this sacrifice has done for us. That very last phrase, he says, it purifies our conscience from dead works to worship the living God. The idea that strikes me is to understand that Christ offering himself is the supreme act of love and is a revelation of the heart of God. I mentioned to you a systematic theologian, Dr. Marjorie Suhaki, last week. She writes theology. She writes quite a bit about Methodist theology. She tells in one of her books about her own coming to faith and how as a child her family went to different churches and different denominations she says different experiences and she continued to do that all the way into her adulthood she was all the way through college and seminary and was still kind of having this eclectic christian experience when a united methodist seminary contacted her about coming to be one of their professors and they got into the discussion that she's not really united methodist but she said i'd be open to that let me think about it and out of that invitation, she began to read John Wesley more closely. And she read his small little book, A Plain Account of Christian Perfection. And she says, as she was reading that book, her heart was strangely warm, just as John Wesley had described his experience with God when he realized that God's love was being offered to him for all time. And as he says in his journal, that his sin was forgiven, even mine, he says. 
Plus two hockey says reading Wesley's words about how God is perfecting us in love or filling us with nothing but love. Her heart was strangely warmed. And then let me read you a few sentences as she describes what happened. She said, as I read the book, I was clearly astonished. John Wesley actually thought that God created us to be in God's image. And this image involved using all our power to God's glory, which is sheer love. This in itself may not seem astonishing, but what Wesley did next is what really stunned me. He taught that since that is what God wants, that is what God makes possible for us in Jesus Christ. That is the purpose of salvation, is to get on with the adventure of fulfilling God's purposes. And by God, there is grace enough to accomplish this. We can live fully to the glory of God in this life, not just the next. We can live fully to the glory of God in this life, not just the next. Hebrews says, it is this love revealed in the sacrifice of Christ which moves us from dead works to worship the living God. That is, we can move from saying, oh, church is just repeating a dead ritual to the ritual coming alive. But the author of Hebrews says the reason it comes alive is because Christ and the image of Christ has come alive in us. That God's love is animating us through Christ by the eternal spirit. Christ's sacrifice is a gift of love for us. It is a gift that gives us a new life in Christ now and forever. May we each allow the image of Christ to Come alive in us. May you allow this image of Christ to come alive in you now and forever. 